Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the 75th episode of the DCVC podcast. This is a show where I, your host, Akash Bhatt, bring you leading angel investors, operators, and venture capitalists, both investing and building companies in the diverse tech landscape of India. Well, as you may have already guessed, this is a very special episode. I wanted to take a moment before proceeding to thank each and every one of you for helping me get so far. I wouldn't have been able to reach the 75th episode landmark without your love, support, and most importantly, feedback. So in order to celebrate this landmark and wonderful moment here for us on the podcast, we have a great guest joining us here today. It's Vinay Singh, the co-founder and partner at Fireside Ventures. With seven plus years at Hindustan Unilever as the marketing manager for a multi-core brand, extensive expertise in digital marketing at McKinsey and & Company and Bankbazaar.com, Vinay has a unique perspective on the intersection between consumer brands and technology. He has also been an entrepreneur as a founder and CEO of Stepney.com, which is acquired by Quicker. Today's episode is filled with levity, insights, and most importantly, wonderful experiential knowledge about investing and building companies in the Indian consumer space. So without further ado, let's listen to the episode with Vinay and everything that he has to share with us from his investing experience. Vinay, it's a pleasure to have you on the DCVC podcast. I'm looking forward to our conversation over the course of the next 45-50 minutes. Thanks, Akash. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, we're called Fireside, so we love having Fireside chats. So happy, looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to it. And one of the things that I wanted to kick for this conversation was with everything that's happening in the market right now. And over the course of the last, I would say, five or six episodes, the first question that I've always posed to all of my guests is, what is your sentiment with what's happening right now out there in the market? Because we hear a lot about hiring fees. We hear about funding freeze. We're hearing about um, mass layoffs. And at the same time, we're also looking at the, the, the news that's coming out in some parts of the world where the economic slowdown doesn't seem to have affected the venture ecosystem too much. So I want to understand a little bit from your perspective about what's happening in the Indian consumer industry more specifically, and what is your general take on the the market right now? I think, uh, Akash, inflation is real. And uh, it's impacting all of us uh, in various uh, ways. Obviously, uh, money supply has slowed down. Uh, Central banks have, you know, had to tighten their monetary policy, raise interest rates. And uh, obviously, the printing of money and the free flow of money that we saw the last two years, that party seems to be, the music seems to have stopped for some time. Uh, I think the trickle-down effect of that is, uh, since money circulation is reduced, uh, capital is finding its way to safer havens. And obviously, venture uh, is a risky asset class. And we'll, we'll, we'll see some pullback. And we're seeing some of that in our conversations with our LPs, our international investors, etc. Um, having said that, if I zoom down specifically to India, um, while that might be true for a lot of consumer internet tech, 
companies given the tech meltdown in of stocks in the us nasdaq um, also a bunch of uh, very highly lever leveraged or risky kind of uh, business models with high burn rates network effects winner take it all seeing some kind of corrections i think that that's having a trickle down effect in late stage funding here in india early stage i still don't see too much of uh, the big impact coming through good businesses good founders still finding capital uh, one needs to remember akash that over the last year or maybe two years uh, funds in india have raised record amount of dry powder and they're kind of sitting on that dry powder and uh, there is uh, they are looking for good ideas to fund right what's, what's only happening is that the business model needs to be validated so that party of saying keep growing doesn't matter what the burn is that seems to be in question mm-hmm. especially at the series c series b and onwards from there but early stage we are not seeing that impact the second thing that's happening is that in our specific world of consumer brands and uh, just to differentiate this we don't invest in consumer internet we don't invest in <clears throat> network effects oriented businesses uh we, we invest purely in uh, uh digital native consumer brands um these are fairly profitable companies they have high gross margins in the products that they sell these could be personal care products packaged food lifestyle etc they use digital channels like their own website and marketplaces to access the customer and because they have uh, deep gross margins uh their contribution margins or net net variable cost is always positive they might burn money but that's just a beta burn which can always be turned on and off and therefore in our world we are not still seeing the full blow of the impact that we are seeing in the broader ecosystem i think it's a matter of time that will come here however what i think is that as long as in our world brands are being disciplined about how they are growing net of all variable costs if they are positive i still think that there is enough capital out there and we are seeing that in multiple proof points in terms of our, our companies or companies in the broader ecosystem consumer brands still being able to raise money at the late stage i mean uh, lkatatan just put in some money into sugar cosmetics and and that was quite a late stage cdc kind of investment um Uh, Licious just raised some capital as well. Again, a series D investment. So even at the later stages, for good business models, especially in our world, given that you know our PNLs uh, don't uh, read red all the time, right? Uh, that's uh, that. That's what we are seeing, and I I I just feel that given the amount of capital that has uh, been raised, dry powder that's available, given that. india as you rightly mentioned is uh, not it's still an emerging economy but it seems to have emerged um, high growth rates uh, i think capital will find its way back into the ecosystem it will take some time for the shock waves to settle down but i think the recovery will be much sharper in india as compared to let's say european markets or other developed markets It's a very interesting point that you make there because one thing that I heard you say there is, given the fact that there's so much dry powder that's been raised by VC funds, that also means that at some point this needs to be deployed, but being deployed into more thoughtful, sustainable, and good economics-based business models. 
but does this also then open doors for new emerging sectors that we haven't seen before this provides vcs an opportunity to experiment because traditional sectors and verticals haven't seen that growth or have are seeing negative growth in this period it gives you the flexibility of now trying and seeing if there are new things that you perhaps couldn't have experimented in the past but giving you a chance to then take a better niche sector so does that give you that flexibility or is it you still sticking to your guns in your original thesis i think at fireside we continue to be committed to building consumer brands uh, i think there is just such a large paucity of consumer brands in india that the opportunity just uh, you know screams at you um and and we look at our deal flow we just look at how unorganized most categories are how fast <laughs> digital channels of commerce are growing um, so many new categories that need to be disrupted mm-hmm. uh, that we believe that there's enough material here what's happening uh, akash is that over the last year and a half i think valuations were a little uh, frothy mm-hmm. those seem to be settling down so therefore you can make your buck work right. harder so you can either choose to um, you know have more follow on rounds in in as a companies that uh, you give because your ownership you get it for a lower valuation up front or you can experiment with a couple of emerging things and there are lots of emerging things like web3 is something that's uh, from consumer even if a consumer lens to it for example discovery platforms will change when over the next 5 years as web3 starts becoming more mainstream mm-hmm. uh, so that could be interesting there are lots of um, there's lots of action happening on healthcare mm-hmm. and consumer healthcare so there's a there's a whole government push towards the national digital health plan and over the next 3 4 years india could see a upi like moment for healthcare mm-hmm. and uh, that those that could kind of give rise to a very interesting business models and already we are seeing entrepreneurs kind of uh, looking at it and trying to understand it trying to help us understand it um, and and uh, seeing how we can collaborate there. so there are opportunities out there yeah but i think uh, given uh, that the thesis that we have at fireside of uh, building consumer brands there is enough scope so for example one of the questions that um, uh, some of the more sector agnostic funds and downstream investors ask us is okay uh, so we we've got a couple of unicorns in the personal care space in the in digital native brands brands like mama earth brands like uh, you know sugar cosmetics or purple or uh, uh, you know uh, something like a wow skin sciences etc now is the party in personal care over mm-hmm. and uh, will there be another personal care brand that will get created which which kind of like you know is a unicorn they are digital native yeah I'm like yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're uh, entrepreneurs sitting in labs, yeah. tinkering around with the uh, bioenzymes and uh, and and bioactives, uh, and saying um, uh, you know uh, stuff like uh, lactobacillus or uh, uh, some kind of bioactives that are good for your gut can possibly be great for your for your facial yeah. skin as well because they feed off your dead skin cells yeah. and make face glow. And anyway, you have all of these microbiomes living on your skin. Yeah. Uh, and some people have a deficiency of it. So if you add it in, kind of, so there's a lot of work happening on the science behind personal care. There's another very interesting personal care brand which we recently invested in, which is bringing those age-old kitchen recipes of personal care. You know, using papaya, using banana, mm-hmm. using um, basin and upton, etc. 
a very fresh kind of format. So almost think of it like Lush for India. Yeah. Um, delivered D to C. Yeah. And, and uh, people love uh, natural and uh, uh, chemical free products, but uh, they couldn't solve the self- shelf life issue. Right. Because uh, but with with digital, the shelf life issue doesn't exist. You can you can ship the same day. It's like ID Fresh. Yeah. Um, so there are new concepts coming out all the time, and and that just keeps us excited. That's a very good point because um, going back to the example that you said, we invested in a company called Sequential Skin, uh, which basically does microbio, which uses microbiomes to then tell you, um, you know, what kind of products that you need to be buying from a skincare perspective. Right. And like you said, we have only barely touched the surface when it comes to how adjacent sectors can really impact the consumer industry. And that is one of the things that I wanted to actually double down on this conversation and and get your thoughts on, because when we take a look at the Indian consumer space from the macro perspective, you see that 70% are unbranded consumption when you you actually look at it, right? These are um, studies conducted by Deloitte and you see that there's a massive opportunity to convert unbranded consumption into branded consumption. Now, one of the key things that um, or most advertisers also end up talking to you and telling you is that when you're a buyer, you search for a product and then you discover the store. But when you're a brand, people search for your brand and then buy what you're offering. And there's a huge difference. So branding has been a very important play of the consumer digital market as such. And we've seen that with some of your best performing portfolio companies as well, be it a boat, um, uh, be it any of the other ones that, you know, you've, you've invested in that's that, that automatically stands out. Right now, I want to understand more from your perspective where you're sitting when, you know, you're investing earlier into these companies, how important does brand building become or how important is it when in your diligence process as you're, potentially looking at this also as a way this company scales? Uh, at the end of the day, we are in the business of building brands. Right. Uh, uh, if you look at uh, what, the way an economist would define what a brand is, they would say it's the irrational premium that consumers pay for the same product. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, and that irrational premium is what causes you to create a margin profile mm-hmm. that is far superior to your category average margin profile. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty about brands that once you drive preference, once you drive uh, love for your brand and the retention and uh, the cost of acquisition, etc., all start to make sense. And your PNL starts to look pretty healthy. I mean, uh, and a bit level, you, uh, even the largest companies like Unilever and Nestle, etc., deliver 20 plus EBITDAs. Mm-hmm. In India, which at that scale, at a scale of you know five five billion, three billion is unheard of. Um, so I think uh, that's and and therefore investing in uh, building your brand and, and notice that we call it investing and not spending and not brand building spends. Mm-hmm. Call it investments in building your brand mm-hmm. because those you have to look at as investments. You can't. Think of it as okay. I spent something, and then it's a PNL item. Yeah. Almost you have to think of it as okay. I spent something, and what's it adding to my balance sheet? Right. Uh, is it is it helping me conserve? Because I'm creating the pull, 
is it helping me conserve working capital because you know the uh, retailers are happy to stock me and give me my money back on time is it uh, uh, such that my overall um, uh, uh, you know website traffic uh, mix has changed mm-hmm. in terms of uh, how much direct traffic is coming through how much branded traffic is coming through how my conversions going up mm-hmm. how my conversions on amazon going up because you're building trust with the consumer i think those are all the benefits that one would see seek from a brand building input mm-hmm. akash the way i think you're right i think most brands are most categories in india are are, uh, are unorganized largely right and historically i think and that's the difference between the d2c movement in india versus the us mm-hmm. look at the us market Uh, it was a fairly organized retail market so therefore as an entrepreneur as a product or a brand entrepreneur if i created a highly differentiated product let's say i created a better pet spray or if i created a better you know snack as long as the product was differentiated i could go to a walmart i could go to a costco i could go to a whole whole foods get a national distribution contract with them and boom i would have Uh, given most of america access to my product mm-hmm. that's what distribution does for a brand now in india that's not possible because channel architecture was broken 78 right. 80% of uh, i mean today 85% of india's uh, uh, you know retail sales comes from the general trade mom and pop stores and therefore as a brand even if i have a differentiated product first i have to create store by store mom and pop store distribution mm-hmm. that's the reason why most categories are unorganized because every little corner of india every town every city every rural village will have their own set of products because of this uh, uh, issue now what is happening is that today uh, you know ecom contributes to about 4% of india's retail uh, ecosystem right the next 5 years that's going to be about 12% mm-hmm. now ecom is helping organize uh, categories mm-hmm. because suddenly you can go across india you can as a, as a brand entrepreneur you focus on a great product the product is highly differentiated you have understood your consumer uh, sub segment well and then at the click of a button boom you have given access to almost all consumers in india who are mm-hmm. uh, ecom connected today it's 150 million shoppers in 5 years it will be 450 million shoppers right but that is going to accelerate this movement from unorganized to organized so the difference between the d2c ecosystem in india versus the us is it is a unorganized to organized story playing out in india which is a much larger story when the us it was already organized you had some pools of margin like the razor blade market had oligopolies with very deep profit pools and you could disrupt that similarly the mattress space had oligopolies with very deep margin pools and you can disrupt that um in india that's not the case the market make is very different it's an organized to organized play and that's why we believe that this will be a much larger um, canvas that uh, we can play on that's the reason why we uh, your question on thesis we continue to be excited because it's just so much to do right now one of the things that we've done really really well is localize products and build arguably fantastic domestic brands and we've seen a number of those do a phenomenal job in the last 4 or 5 years um what i'm also curious to understand is 
how do we sharpen the positioning to expand the positioning of the products, the companies, and improve the quality and so on and so forth? Because where it's aspirational for an Indian consumer or an Indian investor to see is these portfolio of brands going global. And how can they become impactful brands at a global scale? We haven't quite reached there with consumer brands as yet. Maybe there are one or two examples of that that really stand out. But either one of two things ends up happening, right? Either or before we get to the scale, some of these companies get acquired by the usual suspects, your PNGs and um, the Unilevers of the world. Or we just don't think about a global perspective when it comes to consumer brands, or historically, at least we haven't. But I think I, I strongly believe that times are changing and we will see globally dominated consumer brands coming out of India as well. But in order for us to reach that scale, what do you think needs to be the playbook that is adopted by Indian founders, taking a cue from perhaps some of their contemporaries in Europe, in Latin America, maybe in Southeast Asia as well? That's a great one, Akash. I think um, uh, there is, the time is ripe for uh, Indian brands to go global. Uh, I think uh, up until about three years ago, we were a disadvantaged manufacturing location given our tax structures. Right. That's been corrected by uh, the uh, uh, finance ministry. Right. Now we're seeing um, a lot more uh, PLI incentives coming through to even set up uh, capital expenditures to set up manufacturing locations. Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing a lot of activity happening there. A bunch of our brands are backward integrating either through greenfield projects or acquisitions. Um, the third thing that is happening is given the geopolitical nature of what we've all collectively been through over the last three years, a lot, a lot of retailers, a lot of consumers are looking at a China plus one strategy. Mm -hmm. saying, Listen, we want to consume goods that might may or may not be from China. And given the given all of these macroeconomics, I think it's a great time. The fourth piece I would add to that is, I think it's just doing business cross border is becoming so easy. Right, everything is getting unbundled. You have separate cross border logistics service providers. You have separate cross border payment service providers. You have separate cross border warehousing service providers. Um, uh, even marketplaces uh, like Amazon, for example, are committed to building cross-border e-commerce businesses. In fact, uh, I think they have a target of doing about $5 billion of uh, uh, cross-border e-commerce from India to the globe, out of which they've already done about $2.5-$3 billion. Um, and uh, they run a program called Sambha where we are partners, uh, where we are helping uh, some of our brands understand these uh, markets better and helping them take them globally. I think... So from a quality perspective, from a final product perspective, I think we are almost there. Mm -hmm. Already we are seeing green shoots of from India for global stories with authentic India stories doing very well. Right. Depot Rugs is a great example, which is a multi hundred million dollar brand selling from India into global markets. We are seeing Vadham Tea, for example, India is the second largest producer of tea in India, but no brands from India. Right tells bulk tea and here's an entrepreneur called Bala who came along and said this is not okay because yeah. he produced a tea and somebody else takes the value yeah. and he created a brand called Vadham direct from the garden cutting out even the auction houses yeah. and providing the best of tea for the globe sizable yeah. business uh, in the US uh, similarly there's Ayurveda experience in our portfolio taking Ayurveda personal care products 
from India to the uh, consumers in uh, sitting out of US, UK, Europe, etc., who are looking at natural uh, personal care products, but which are also highly efficacious. And Ayurveda gives you gives them that solution. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a brand called Sarva, which is taking yoga from India, and it's a kind of like a class 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 pass kind of equivalent for mm-hmm. the US market. Uh, with instruct- instructors and virtual instructors from India. So I think uh, there are uh, stories that are beginning to happen, which have an authentic Indianness to it. Mm-hmm. And as the manufacturing ecosystem matures and we have scale manufacturing coming in, quality is already kind of getting solved for. I think we'll start seeing brands that are built in India for the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, Mama Earth, which is a personal care brand, um, is already a very dominant brand in India and uh, has already expanded into the Middle East markets right. where uh, he was uh, getting spillover benefits of his media efforts, given the diaspora, given the uh, that region's love for Indian content. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there was pull already getting created and he said, let me then naturally extend myself there. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, uh, if you look at Slurp Farm, which is a uh, millet-based uh, kids packaged food brand. So they have these pancake mixes and pastas and noodles, all made of millets, which is great for the planet, uses lesser water, but it's great for the consumer as well, because as compared to regular carbohydrates, millets have far higher fibers and proteins. Um, and um, that's that's finding resonance with a lot of uh, health-seeking moms across Middle East and even UK. In fact, the, one of the co-founders actually moved to the UK mm-hmm. to set up the operations there because there's enough pull that was getting created there as well. So seeing some of these stories kind of start to happen, I think as we go along, as the manufacturing ecosystem catches up, yeah. we'll see a lot more of this. So, I mean, if we had a time machine and we traveled to 2030 and had this conversation i think we would be having a very different conversation then yeah no you brought up a very good example of batam teas and bala uh, was on the episode uh, a few weeks ago the episode is not out as yet but hopefully in a couple of weeks time it will um, and a lot of things that he spoke to me over the course of that conversation also resonated and hit hit home for me personally he was talking to me about the teach me initiative um, you know, which is more of the impacting um, as many tea workers in India as possible through education goes back to something that we did with Chiksha ourselves. So that we, we instantly bonded when we started talking about it. And one of the things that you're also seeing today with Indian brands is that it's purpose, they're, they're purpose driven. Some of them are really putting mission at the core of how they're doing. And there is a real reason why they're building a business out it's not simply because for the sake of building something out and there's an opportunity because some of it is very personal when i spoke to varun uh, varun from mama earth um, earlier in, on the show he spoke about how starting mama earth was a very personal experience for him um, and his wife and it started because they faced that issue and the fact that today you've got a lot of consumer brands thinking about not just things that are purpose-driven from home perspective but also things that are going to be globally uh, resonated with by a, an audience that's sitting in any remote part of the world, climate change, sustainability, uh, all of these things impact all of us, right? So while we're thinking about growing these brands, how important is the do good factor 
or how important is purpose and mission while you're evaluating them internally? Because I do understand from a VC lens that metrics matter for sure. And if you're a good business on paper and there are you know good frameworks, infrastructure, you've got the right people around you, you've got the economics working, of course, it automatically becomes uh, a good investable opportunity. But at the same time, now say a brand doesn't have that, but is perhaps on the path, but is very purpose-driven or on the other side where the brand is not purpose-driven, but has everything else that's going for it. How easy or difficult does the decision-making process become for an investor like you? And how important that that do-good factor really play in, in you know, flipping that switch and saying, we're 90% there, but this is pushing us over the edge and making us take that investment decision. It's an easy one, actually, Akash. I mean, if a brand doesn't have a purpose, it will not scale. Right. Um, so for us, even if the metrics look very good, uh, the brand purpose is not very clear. And if the founders are not very clear how they want to go take this forward, yeah, that's the walkaway point for us. Do, do you think founders have that clarity even at the early stage, like very, very early stage? Do they have, have they figured out their mission and why? I think founders have to know why they're doing what they're doing. Right. It's a tough journey. Yeah. A uh, lot of sleepless nights, a lot of long days, um, lo- lots of downs before you become an overnight success. Right. Uh, and lots of time spent in the boondogs and in the wilderness before yeah. they really get recognized by their peers, by the media, by the uh, by the entire community for you know what they've built. I think what keeps them going is the why of what they're doing. That's an important uh, point of evaluation for us as investors to say, you know, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where purpose gets born. Mm-hmm. And then and that's why founder-led brands are so much more authentic than faceless, nameless, company-led brands. Mm. Uh, because founders have that passion and that purpose. Yeah. Um, it also makes business sense, Akash. Think about it, right? What were the forget if the internet existed? Yeah. What were the drivers of brand growth before the internet? Mm. Um, if you had distribution, that was a great driver. You just need to take a new product and put it into that pipeline of distribution and create revenue for yourself. Um, and uh, customer service, most, yeah, customer service and all that. Yeah, typically most of these brands, one point two as we call them, which were pre-internet brands, they were what we call the what brands. Hmm. What can I do for you? Right. Uh, which is uh, I will get your hair clean I will get your body clean I will make your hair shiny I will make your skin glow Mm. so a very what brand and then an emotional kind of uh, message attached to it okay if your skin glows you will get an erosis job or Mm. if your hair is silky then you know you can be more uh, beautiful or uh, you know if your if you clean your if you have a great bath then you know you'll smell fresh all day long and have more confidence, etc. But what brands, all of them? Think about it. Sunset, Fair and Lovely, Maggie, uh, you know, any, any brand, Pantene, anything that you've consumed in your life. The key strategic asset for that brand was distribution. Mm-hmm. If you hold the distribution, you can put whatever into it. And as long as you're able to answer for the consumer at the point of sale, why buy me? This is what right. I can do. For you. 
it'll get picked up okay now distribution is no longer a moat you don't need distribution going forward e-commerce will solve that for you is mm-hmm. bundled and even if you have to go offline beyond e-commerce there are enough unbundled distribution service providers like load share some more etc which will your odan which will continue getting built out so brands will never have brands will never have to own the distribution mm. and any brand owning distribution will not have any strategic sense right so therefore where the brands derive their strength from what's the key asset what's the key uh, strategic asset that a brand has mm. it is the community it is the audience what we are paying gatekeepers like facebook google real big sums of monies to acquire that audience mm-hmm. once we acquire that audience as a brand we have to keep them engaged just saying buy this buy that buy this buy that i mean i don't think audiences ever get engaged with that but once you give them a purpose once you align them to a larger mission mm-hmm. the consumption of these products is it happens by the way the reason why people keep coming back to mama earth and buying yes the products are great i'm not saying that brands are excused from making great products they have to make great products they keep coming and buying because products are great but also the feel good factor of the fact that every time i buy a mama earth product a tree gets planted right every time i buy a vadham tea you know i'm helping somebody get educated right every time i buy a slurp farm product i uh, there are farmers uh, who get a great livelihood Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are able to till land and grow stuff that doesn't grow anywhere else and nothing else grows on their uh, farm except for millets because they are hardy crops mm-hmm. and we are giving them employment uh, every time you buy a uh, let's say pilgrim beauty product you are taking plastic away from the earth they are a plastic negative company not plastic neutral so mm-hmm. these are some of the missions uh on which you can bring your community together and there might be some people who might be more passionate about planting trees there might be some people who might be more passionate about cleaning the oceans of plastic and you create these sub communities of people and give them the purpose saying this is so you want to do this you don't have the wherewithal to do this i will help you do this and by the way i have great products as well right if you can hold your community together uh, and you don't have to keep paying google and facebook to keep acquiring customers all the time yeah it makes for great business sense because the cac suddenly drop and uh, therefore the way at least uh, we look at it here at fireside is um, purpose uh, above anything else mm-hmm. um uh, and uh, the purpose should be planet driven should be people driven profits will follow i i completely agree with everything that you mentioned there and takes me back to one of my favorite books that's uh, ever been written in my opinion it's a book by uh, yuvan shanad which is you know let my people go surfing um the the founder of patagonia and in that you know he talks about how purpose actually is help patagonia define who they are and more importantly you know you can still do good while having um a core part of your business model that's towards profitability and i think one of the quotes that he mentions in that is patagonia will never be completely socially responsible but it will and it 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 will never make a 
total sustainable, non-damaging product, but it is committed to trying. And that, that tells you a lot about the brand. That just tells you a lot about everything that's built within top down within the company and everybody. And that's what you mean. That, that's also one of the things that people resonate with, right? Not just people who are buying your products, but people who are building and making these products every single day. Absolutely. It is a mission that also puts the team together. Team together. And therefore this mission, this purpose is best if, uh, uh, if founders are aware of this or at least trying to get aware of this early in their journey. Yeah. Because it sets the North Star very early for, yeah. for your team, for your community of consumers, for your co- even for the kind of vendors you will work with and not work with, um, for your packaging practices, for your logistics practices. Um, a lot of it then gets fed into individual touch points of the brand. Yes. So that the, the experience with the consumer is very, very coherent. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like you're building like a kind of two-faced kind of a brand where people have different experiences <laughs> based on where experiencing a brand. So it's absolutely important to have that uh, upfront. I'm going to put you in a very tough spot, in my opinion. Uh, maybe it's not. Uh, but I'm going to ask you two questions, very similar to one another. The first one is, if you're a founder or you are a potential founder going out and thinking of building a company, how do you do this? How do you find your purpose? And if you're already a founder who has probably started in, you know, out on your adventure, how do you discover the why along the way? The first one is easy. I mean, uh, if you're going to spend a good part of your life, five, seven, 10 years in building something. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to, you know, try and self-discover what you are passionate about, what really will make you get up every day and feel very excited and then build your business around that. Mm-hmm. For example, like uh, you had Barun and, you know, he had that personal issue and he said, listen, I, I got to make this right. I got, yeah. I don't want any other parent to suffer like this. Yeah. Uh, and that was his purpose he started with. Um, you look at Bala and he's, uh, he's a fourth generation tea planter and said, listen, I don't like the fact that we are just agriculturists selling yeah. commodity globally. Yeah, I mean, we need to capture more value and that's his purpose. Um, and therefore, the business is built around that. Uh, so I think for a founder starting off, one needs to take that long view of five to 10 years and say, you know, what do I want to get to there and then work backwards from there is very easy. Then, then it becomes clearer to say, okay, this is what I'm passionate about. This is the change I want to make. This is how things should be different in the world. It's not right. I'm going to set it right. This is the business around it that will hopefully get set right. Yeah. The second one is tricky (laughs) where you started a business because it's a commercial venture yeah, and there's a gap in the market and you're solving some customer's problem, et cetera. Yeah. Um, the question is, once you solve the first 50 customers, hundred customers, thousand customers, 10,000 customers problem, yeah. what will keep you motivated? What will keep your team motivated to solve the next million customers problems? Right. Right. Um, I think one needs to have that honest chat, um, 
with their core uh, leadership team mm-hmm. uh, and kind of uh, come up with something that is beyond business right saying what is the impact that we want to leave again it's always about a long view saying what's the impact 5 years 10 years down the line 15 years down the line mm-hmm. and when we look back maybe we went public maybe we went ipo maybe we went we got acquired maybe nothing happened right um, and it's a good lifestyle business yeah or maybe um, uh, you know we failed yeah but what is that impact that we left mm. um, in our society in our community in the community that we are passionate about in the environment um, that that really would make us proudly sit with our family mm-hmm. with our closest friends with our grandma mm. without the jargon of business explain to them ki yaar this is what we are doing right i think if they can distill it down to that one statement that mm-hmm. this is which their with their nanima can understand or their you know grandma can understand yeah that could be a very powerful rallying cry that could coalesce their their teams their uh, vendors their customers yeah. yeah i mean every startup right uh, needs three things uh they need heroes mm-hmm. typically the founders you need stories and you need rituals right i think that's once you have that going then the tribe starts building around it yeah you don't have heroes you don't have stories you don't have rituals we are i mean you know as human beings we can't take jargon and numbers beyond a point yeah we are kids at the heart of it and we love stories yeah and that's how we understand and make sense of the world around us so if a startup is able to get there where it has a a, a story it has a hero and the hero maybe the founder maybe may not even be the founder maybe the founder's kid for example yeah or be some other uh, person in, in, uh, a nameless person a faceless typical yeah or it could be the product or it could be the product yeah um and you have rituals around that to right. keep reinforcing that this is why you are doing what we are doing right then it becomes part of culture i love that definition I love that framework. I I love how you put across those three things that you know people a, 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 a team a successful team needs. Because I do also believe that the sooner a company tries to be what it's not, the sooner it tries to have it all, and the sooner it will die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, absolutely. Uh, you 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 can. I mean, like Tupac Shakur said, you fake it till you make it. But right. you can fake it for four and a half minutes after that. It's <laughs> long end. Yeah. <laughs> you get you get you get found out at some point yeah, and yeah. and it, that fake it, it till you make it is a great uh, strategy while you figure out what works for you it's not a recipe for life it's a recipe for the interim until you figure out what is it that what is clicking for you in in that context and you know rest hopefully is something that you know goes back to the three things that you mentioned hopefully they all fall in line and yeah. i i i can see that a lot of lot of your philosophy has come from obviously your experience as a founder as well and 
the fact that you were able to build something earlier on, sell it to Quicker, went through that whole journey yourself. And today you're sitting on the other side, sharing that experience with some of the founders. I want to hear a little bit more about your own personal journey as, you know, being an operator on the other side of the table. How important, and this is a question that I think venture capitalists will get asked, have been asked, are being asked, will get asked for generations to come. How important was that operating experience in your uh, opinion that has shaped who you are as an investor today? I mean, uh, super biased answer, Akash. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't go and undo not being a founder. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So so I would say it's important. I, 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 I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. I'm not taking away the from the fact that, you know, there are other founders out there uh, who have their own, uh, uh, sorry, there are other investors out there uh, who have their own, uh, uh, who've been investors, career investors and done very well for their investors and their founders as well. Right. Um, there are people who've come from consulting backgrounds and have very, had very successful investor stints. Um, and uh, for the longest time, India's market was so shallow that, uh, you know, uh, operators couldn't uh, find their way into the investing industry, especially in the early stage. But given that the market is deepening, as you said, we are emerged or we're like, you know, late emergence or whatever you call it. Yeah. As we go along, I think we'll see a lot more um, operators come into the investing world. And I think that that's great for the investing world. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if I look at some of the more mature uh, ecosystems like San Francisco, where you are, or uh, Shanghai, we see a lot of ex-entrepreneurs then go to the other side of the table and, and start becoming investors, give back. And I think uh, that's just great for the ecosystem. I think mm-hmm. we, I'm, I'm already seeing a lot more of it today than five years ago. And I'm, I'm sure five years later, it'll be a lot more. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that um, I find um, uh, common uh, to uh, operator investors, mm-hmm. um, and that is also coming out of uh, the experience that I went through, is a deep empathy. Right. Is that something that you lacked when you were a founder, and with the investor base that I, I, with the investor base that you had uh, back in the day, to the investors that you're seeing currently in the market today? I mean, I'm, my investors uh, were super supportive. Uh, I, I, I love them to death. I mean, uh, they, they continue to support me even in the fund right. uh, as, as personal investors. Um, I think beyond a point, they cannot dive down below the 5,000 feet level right. to really understand the problems of operating and execution, etc. While they'll empathize, they won't understand right. because they've never kind of been in that situation. Yeah. Whereas I think operators, I mean, given the experience that I have, a founder who comes and cries on my shoulder, listen, I've been trying, it's not working. You know, I, I get it and I, and I understand how frustrating it can be. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, opens up lines of communications with entrepreneurs. Right. That's really helped me. So, for example, though I might be on seven, eight boards in the in the companies that we have invested in, we've invested in about 30 companies, maybe 25, 26 of the entrepreneurs. Uh, don't hesitate to even text me at 12 in the night. Mm. 
or you know call me at suddenly at 10 in the night and say here i need to chat I, I, before you proceed how do you create that rapport because i think that is something a lot of investors struggle a lot of founders also struggle to create that rapport with their investors so what have you done that has worked for you which i guess a lot of our listeners can take back to their investors investors can listen to it and be like hey, i can do this with my portfolio as well so uh, uh, so this is again part of the whole rituals piece right right uh, so so the whole philosophy we just kind of extended it the way we look at it is our portfolio founders are an extension of the fund so the culture has to not just be restricted to the fund but extend out to this these portfolio companies as well so one of the things that we did very early on our uh, journey at fireside was we sat down with founders and we said okay what are your top 4 top 5 challenges this was with the first seven or eight companies that we had kind of invested in okay we cannot keep validating this as we keep going forward right and the four kind of uh, pieces that came out they said listen d2c mm. how do we build a d2c sales channel mm. it has so many challenges there's tech there's data analytics there's team there's campaign management there's creative the second one was uh, on uh, uh e-commerce and how do we get discovered it's easy to get listed on amazon but how do we get discovered how do we get buyable how do we get visible um uh, we need uh, the third problem was we need debt uh, for our working capital requirements because we have real inventory but mm-hmm. the banks won't lend to us mm-hmm. and the fourth which was very common uh, the first three were very specific to our industry the fourth one was help me hire right So what we did was we kind of put together playbooks here. We have benchmarks, funnel metrics, uh, a whole ecosystem of support partners, thoroughly vetted best practices. We go down to the detail of how your landing page should look at, like what your checkout flow should look like. Again, we don't know the best answer, but we keep learning right. and we keep sharing. And as a ritual, what we do is as we invest in a company, we kind of sit down with them and take them through some of these uh, success stories take them through some of the best practices take them through some of the uh, uh, our understanding of uh, where you know what what to do on amazon what to do on flipkart what to do on uh, big basket what to do on your own d2c website i think those conversations kind of trigger uh, uh, with our founders uh, the comfort of saying okay these guys are not just investors uh, they are willing to roll up their sleeves and look at my specific problem so they are not just giving me a prescription they are saying okay here are some stories now tell me where are you at right. and help i'm going to like problem solve with you yeah and the reason we do that is because it helps us learn and get better right. because the next company we would have seen this problem we could have we, we, they don't need to make the to same rewrite the playbook again reinvent the wheel Yeah. So, so the companies are therefore, and it it makes great business sense for us because the companies are scaling faster with limited, with lesser capital because they're not making the same mistakes. They make new mistakes, which is great. We're learning all the time. Yeah. So that's one of the ways that you end up establishing rapport is by helping problem solve, and that eventually just gets into the whole cycle of learning, productive conversations, and therefore somebody feels much more confident and easy to come back in and have that. difficult conversation with an investor when they have like three four other on the cap table where they feel it's much easier to come and have a conversation with somebody typically the first institutional investor so that helps as well 
right um it's a it's quite a kind of silent board for some time uh, yeah. but yes three or four are there There's, we still have that rapport yeah i think uh, being a founder now kind of twice over with stepney and now with fireside i think the other piece is the personal aspect of you know my wife has this issue and i'm spending too much time at work and how do i balance um i think those conversations help as well mm. um especially when you put it in the context of okay this is what happened the first two years but this is what happened five years out yeah um i think uh though those conversations also help i mean i might not be right or wrong but at least uh being open to sharing my personal experience um i i kind of think that it helps with a lot of founders to uh get their guard down as well and just kind of be transparent and more authentic right i think an extension to this question and something i've been thinking about since the time we started talking is you've obviously highlighted numerous things that both you do really well as well as the funders really well in your opinion what is it that you do the best you know both from a personal perspective as a fund perspective i just want it it's 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 something that i'm constantly asking myself every time every couple of years like what am i doing the best what am i really good at what can i get better at i think that kind of get, gets you to like also start identifying what you're not good at and start probably doing that better so if i were to put you on the spot and say what do you what is it that you personally think that you do really really well and what is fireside as a fund that does really well what would that be I bowl really well. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm I'm not sure it's a quite 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 a wide question uh Akash so uh, I think uh, given that uh, I'm a kind of noob uh, investor and just like about 5 and a half years old um I'm still in quote and quote primary school of investing. Uh so it's time to learn. so i don't think i'm good at many things i've picked up some stuff around fundraising around uh, capital management around strategy uh, around helping companies get to the next level hiring uh, exits etc but by no means um, uh, do i think i'm very good at anything right uh, if you ask my partner kaval who has gobs of experience in uh, investing he would probably have a better answer here right um yeah that's where i put it i am still vinay this is a fantastic conversation uh, i had a pleasure getting to know more about you and your own personal experience and your style of investing and all the philosophies that you're brought into the world of investing and i'm looking forward to more investments from fireside and uh, more success to you and hopefully we can have a, another conversation very soon Likewise, Akash. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, stay safe. Take care. Well, that brings us to the end of yet another amazing episode here on the Desi VC podcast. What a way to round up this seventy-fifth episode! Thank you so much, Vinay, for gracing us with your presence and, most importantly, all of your knowledge and experience from investing in Indian consumer brands. I also wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to Nitya Khandelwal. for helping make this episode happen. I really enjoyed listening to Vinay's thoughts around the macroeconomic landscape and how it's impacting the Indian consumer investments. He strongly believes that good businesses and founders will still find capital in the current climate in the Indian market. So if you're a founder, you should be taking a lot of strength 
from hearing such words from a very prominent investor in the country. Well, if you're like me and you enjoyed that episode, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Because this is also our 75th episode, it would really mean a lot if you shared this with as many close friends and on your social media platforms. Next week, we have a fantastic operator who's building a very niche and interesting wellness brand in the Indian consumer space. So make sure you tune back in again and listen to who we have here on the podcast. Until then, stay safe everybody and continue to keep hustling.